So hello, welcome to Misogynoir Transformed, the podcast, otherwise known as Transforming Misogynoir. I'm your host, Moya Bailey. I coined the term misogynoir in 2008 while writing my dissertation. Misogynoir describes the anti-Black racist misogyny that Black women experience and that people read as Black women experience. Uh, Please join me as I talk with the people who were instrumental in proliferating the word, um, thinking through the word, challenging the word, and challenging misogynoir and all of its manifestations out in our world. If you take a listen, you'll get to meet some of the people who, for me, are real movers and shakers, digital alchemists, if you will, who are creating the world we want to see with the media they create and curate. So uh, sit back, take a listen, and join me for this next episode of Noir Transform. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Noir Transform, the podcast. I am so excited to have one of my besties, one of my A1s, one of my day ones, uh, Golden Sunrise Collier. Golden Sunrise Collier uses he, they pronouns and is a multidisciplinary artist, healer, and radical facilitator growing and thriving in Philadelphia. Creator of the Recovery Justice Framework, they are a longtime radical recovery worker holding spaces across the country and creating strengths-based resources to support Black, queer, trans, and other marginalized folks in fully realizing their visions of healing for themselves and our communities. Amen. These resources published through Diasporan Savant Press include, among other things, the Audre Lorde Harm Reduction Workbook, and an upcoming anthology of writings, poetry, art, and affirmations by queer, trans, BIPOC, exploring sobriety and harm reduction using cultural ancestral tools beyond a 12-step framework. So um, as I said, this is my homie from, from the womb. From I can't yeah. even say from the womb. We ain't known each other that long, but it feels like that. Uh, but I want to add that Golden is an incredible spades player. Uh, hey. Hey. For those listening, please note that we have <laughs> never lost ever, ever, ever in the ever. history of our partnership on the spades table. So understand um, across all geographical boundaries, across on. time and space, at every location at which we have ever sat down to play with anybody at any time in history known to homo sapiens sapiens we have not lost and that shall be so into the future so beware beware so um i am so excited to talk to you golden the first question i like to ask people is how they first encountered the word misogynoir or 
maybe not even how you first encountered it, what's a memorable moment in terms of you kind of getting a sense of the word and how it's been traveling? Yeah, okay, the first time, well, the memorable moment that sticks out is, this is a while ago too. Um, I was really into the work of Cecilia Mike, who is a Black British filmmaker. I'm a filmmaker. Um, she, her work centers around Blackness and um, not Blackness as necessarily a unifying concept as much as Blackness as it appears in the glory of its diversity. You know, I hate the word diversity sometimes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so she makes these short films or she used to, her work used to be really around making these short films as a part of her strolling series where she goes on walks um, or sometimes posts up on stoops with people, black people all over the diaspora. So in London and Jamaica and Brooklyn and Amsterdam um, and Italy and Belgium. And they just walk and talk about what's, what's it like there? What's on your mind as like a black person in this space. Um, and the, I remember what a very memorable moment was I was screening some of her films in Oakland where I used to live. And um, before I, I was deciding uh, which part of the films, there's a, a broad series of them, which one of them I would screen. And I was watching uh, one from Paris, which is the first one I believe that she did called Flanera. And um, it was in Paris and she's interviewing these two black women and her voice is not really in there. It's just them talking. So it's their thoughts. And they were kind of talking about, you know, Paris and what it's like being a black person there, but particularly being a person of like African heritage, like direct African heritage or being like um, a second generation uh, immigrant experienced person. And they actually were using the word massage noir, which I thought was really cool because obviously noir is like a French word. Um, and here are these people in Paris using the word um, and talking about that. And also they were talking kind of about how in Paris, their experience of being called noir by like, um, by Parisians in this kind of like Schwarze, kind of in Germany, in this way that's like reductive or in this way that's not expansive. But it was interesting to hear them talk about that experience of being kind of reduced or, um, cooped in by that term in the hands of uh, those who wish to define black women in that space. Then talking about how they felt like clearly massage noir was like a word that they were using that they felt like was giving them some kind of tools to articulate their experience in a useful way. So it was interesting to hear that um, kind of articulation of difference um, where, whereas one term kind of was limiting, the other term was helping to create space and articulate an experience that was invisibilized. Mm, thank you for that. And it makes me think too about conversations we've had just about how important it is to find the right language to talk about our experiences as, you know, people who get uh, or people who experience massage noir. And I wondered if you might want to uh, talk about that too. Maybe what has been uh, your experience or even the experience that you've seen of non-binary trans folks who have to negotiate massage noir either 
you know, in the media or, or in your own life? How long we got? We got all the time. We got all the time. We got all the time. I to get some snacks, you know. But now we take a nap, you know, a few naps. Um, wow, that's a huge question. I think that's a great question for, because I think there's something about um, language that, you know, language is kind of a, a tool that we can use to try to describe things, but there are things that are elude description. And so Come I feel on. like there are times when we are gonna use something like, even the word like misogyny, it's like, I understand what it means, I get it. It's useful to try to grasp at a thing, but you can experience that without being a woman. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's one of those tricky things. And I think misogynoir is like also in that realm, it's definitely narrowing in an experience that I think, and it's very much needed and yet I can see how there are people who might feel like it doesn't quite capture their experience because there is some kind of like, there's, you know, um, <clears throat> in, you know, in terms of morphologically speaking, there's the GYN in there, which kind of is gendered in this way. But at the same time, um, God, I mean, I just feel like, oof. Uh, you know, obviously, in terms of binary trans identities um, and experiences, I feel like uh, you see a lot of, I mean, the, the misogynoir towards Black, the trans misogynoir towards Black women of trans experience is just, I mean, it's, it's uh, a real problem. It's a real huge problem. Um, almost to the point where it like overshadows Black trans women's joy you know like there's mm, it that it. like black trans women's like it's like you say black trans women and people automatically start thinking about you know struggle um and there needs to be way more balance there but, but but i think the nuanced conversation too and there's a lot of nuance in that, that conversation before you know about binary trans women's identities but i also think in terms of when you get into like non-binary people's identities there's you know that word is almost like kind of less stable not less stable but less uh, articulated I mean you could say non-binary and you can think of a hundred different avatars a thousand different avatars you know it can look kind of a lot of different ways whereas like there's a range for womanhood womanhood is also quite expansive obviously and yet um yeah non-binary adds another layer of that expansiveness um to the conversation. And I feel like there are many non-binary people, particularly when we talk about like non-binary femme people, um, you know, people who are non-binary, there's not uh, such a pressure to kind of like pass. There is pressure to pass by which I mean, look androgynous. <laughs> but, but at the same time, there's many non-binary people I know who don't, who really don't have any interest in changing their bodies. Um, to have to be a non-binary person and that being the case I know many non-binary people who um are perceived when they're walking around on planet earth in the third dimension people perceive them as women as black women and then experience what some of the things that black women experience as a result and so it's a little I think that there's a lot of nuance that non-binary black non-binary people um, who have that experience can add to the conversation about misogynoir. Um, and there's also some ways in which um, 
you know, uh, that I've seen where people are making an effort to say, okay, well, this space is for women and non-binary people. And because non-binary can look a bunch of different ways, somebody can use the pronoun she and look however, really, actually. Mm -hmm. They could also use he, they could also use. And so you have these spaces where I'm not sure if it's massage noir, I'm still unpacking, I'm still, you know, because I'm moving through it. But at the same time, people will say, yes, well, all women and non-binary people are welcome as if, and it's supposed to be inclusive of non-binary people. I'm trying to get at this. I'm trying to try to articulate this. It's supposed to be inclusive, but then people show up in the space and it's really centered around the needs of black women. And it's trying to include other people, but that category is so expensive and can look so many different ways that, off that I've seen it for sure happen where people would so yeah, we met women, non-binary people, but not you, you know? Yes, <laughs> so, yes, yes. <laughs> not you, That's why I asked. That's why I asked. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> not your kind of non-binary. So there's this thing of like, there's a lot of kind of parsing that has to happen, I think, um, for those spaces to be truly inclusive, but also, um, you know, as a non-binary person, I'm me, I'm always feeling like, well, I use he and they, uh, and yet I, I, I'm often perceived by just randos on the street as a woman, and then I'm coming into this space of mostly Black women, but it's supposed to include me, and I'm non-binary, and I have people relating to me because they think I am a she. And then I say he and they in this meeting that's supposed to include non-binary people and didn't say what pronoun you can use or not. And it's kind of a problem. So I don't know if that's massage more, but I think that's, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of ways that I think trans people and particularly people of non-binary experience can can think about it and encounter it and maybe not a lot of space for people maybe in places where they don't feel that they are included or um it's it's a tricky thing to articulate but that's that's some of the ways that i i see it kind of unfolding a bit yeah no that's so helpful i mean one of the things i tried to do in the book was talk about that exact scenario when people say this space is open to women and femmes or women and non-binary folks and people aren't thinking about who they mean, who they're actually trying to hail when they use that language, uh, who they really want to be in conversation with. And I would say, you know, part of the experience of non-binary folks can be misogynoir because they are being misgendered in terms of how they're read. When people assume that you're a black woman, that's where misogynoir starts. It's not about how you identify. Mm -hmm. Misogynoir is what people cast onto you, unfortunately. And if they think you're a black woman, that's enough. That's enough to initiate and ignite that um, ignite that sort of animus and, and violence. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I like that. It's like kind of the machinery operates when that signifier is in place. Absolutely. Or, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's interesting because in some way, a, a part of me was like, 
but no, it's not, I can't, I don't want to give it to them to say that they are doing massage against me because that's outside of myself somehow. But I think that actually what you just said makes so much sense in the sense that like, um, you know, a lot of times I think about like white supremacy and I'm like, um, you know, white supremacy doesn't really need, that machinery doesn't need white people to operate. You have to have a room full of black people and that machine will just go. Yep. Um, it does not need the presence of white people and massage noir does not need the presence of a black woman it just you know what i mean it will just operate it's like oh um you know it's just scanning and when it thinks it's there the machine will run and it doesn't actually need any black woman too but you can have a room full of people who are not black women and um if someone if if it is thought that they are then yeah it's present yeah it operates Yeah, I really appreciate that, that framing and keeping with that, how do you feel like you've been able to interrupt the machine for yourself? Like, how do you feel like you, what practices do you employ in your life that help you disrupt the misogynoir machine? Okay, so I'm just going to order some takeout and we can just... um, (laughs) I can clear my schedule. Um, let's see. So, like, uh, you know, first of all, any, I could list it all now, and I'm gonna make some more later, and I'm gonna get rid of some of these too. It's kind of in flux. The menu of strategies. So, um, let's see. Starting off, I, you know, there's a quote that I come back to. I think of there's a certain quotes or even songs, music, um, places where I like reset and that are kind of a part of me. They're like a part of my like soul. It's like something I've taken in that I'm like, it's something that I found outside of myself that articulates a truth that is a guiding truth in my life. And that's something that Audre Lorde said, which is nothing I accept about myself can be used against by others against me to diminish me. And so I think the first, the biggest strategy that I was taught by my mother, and I think the way that she really disinterrupts, she interrupts massage noir in her own life, and I've seen her since I was a child do, is self-acceptance. Mm. Um, is self-acceptance. And what I mean by that is that I don't, and it's also part of like a recovery strategy too. You know, I don't really mess around with AA too much, but that serenity, um, you know, prayer mindset is real in the sense that I, I don't control, you know, I don't control what other people do. Um, and, you know, uh, I accept what I can do something about, you know, and I, you know, really hope for the wisdom to know the difference. And so coming back to the strategy, it's like, I accept myself. I know I don't have any control of what other people think of me. I don't. And, um, you know, my main strategy is to learn to accept myself, be okay with myself, be okay with that I can't change what other people think. I can't change that, you know, when I go into my printers for my press, you know, people are going to she me. I can't, there's so many things about my experience with people I cannot change. And that has allowed me to release a lot of, um, I mean, I still feel disappointed, but I don't, I, it helps me not take it personally, which I think is a part of my just survival spiritually to not take things too personally um, when I can. Uh, I think another strategy is just education, like not and not education, like through institutions. I actually think institutional education is 
problematic for me, <laughs> but I think learning, like learning, like um, study and understanding that um, there's so many examples of particularly, I mean, there's so many examples in history that are there when you understand them and know them to give a person, to give me strength to move through my life now in 2021 in a world that those people never saw. Um, and so I think coming up as like a black girl, a black young person, um, I one of the things that really brought me into like the black feminism, the womanism world was this need and really deep hunger. And I think a lot of people feel it to find a reflection of yourself in history. I think there's a way in which black women's history particularly, and of course this is misogynoir at work, but it's very much at work in the black community as well. Um, this kind of uh, putting black women, like black women don't have a history. The history of black people is the history of men. And so as at a young age, my mother really put me on the path to be like, know yourself, know your history. Um, and learning about, it was when I started really learning about these, you know, and my own family had many examples, but also the history of ancestors I'm not related to, but I have an affinity with such as like Audre Lorde or such as someone like Flo Kennedy, such a badass or, you know, and the movements and all of the work that people were doing that just was not celebrated or acknowledged on a kind of broad level, the way that other people's work has been, is really crucial. And being able to share that with people, that you're not, the things you're experiencing, you're part of this like long marathon. I'm a part of this long, epic, generations long, you know, um, journey you know to realize a more just world that i won't see the end of i'm holding the baton i'm carrying the flame and i will pass it and having that knowledge of who has come before me and what they have done is a huge strategy and being able to share that with other people um because it's really fortifying um and and can you can you share with the good people some of those ways that you you share it with others? Uh, I'm thinking specifically of of your zine work as being one of the many ways that you're able to share it, and also your sound collages. Yeah, those are really those are two super fun ways. So, like the zine work, um, I really started making zines from commonplace books. Commonplace books are kind of an ancient form of book ancient to Europeans, let's say that, <laughs> in terms of the written word. Come on. Uh, <laughs> not ancient in terms of homo sapiens sapiens, but you know, in terms of people writing down things. <laughs> it's, it's an old form of book and it's basically a book made of quotes. And I really started writing zines and making zines that were commonplace books. The first one ever came out was called When and Where I Enter a Nutritional, Nutritional Womanist Quotable. And it just had all of these amazing quotes from these people who were not really in conversation with each other all talking about different things but they are in my mind in my heart they are in conversation with each other um and uh since then i've you know just kept the kept the thing going i've been learning how to publish self-publish for like a while now and it's definitely a practice and a journey that i am still you know in and growing a lot in um but that's definitely one of the ways. I mean, I think all of the zines, I think there's such a way that almost all kind of read communication is like through these like devices. Um, and our access to that knowledge is controlled by these digital overlords who are saying- Come on. 
go ahead and look and we feel ownership over them because I could just turn on my phone and my computer and look at this thing. But if they decided to shut that off, we won't have that no more. And zines are, you know, surprisingly this kind of, they still persist. They're this analog way of actually disseminating information that uh, algorithm can't track. That, you know what I mean? That somebody holding their hand. So the zine work is definitely, through my press, is a, is a huge way that I get that done and uh, disseminate that knowledge. And I'm able to like kind of talk with people. And it's really introduced me to a lot of amazing work by other people as well. Um, and then the sound collages, the audio collages, I love doing those because some people don't like to read. And I don't even blame nobody for that. There's a lot of trauma that goes with schooling that makes it where a lot of people don't enjoy reading because going through schooling can be a really traumatic experience. And for all kinds of reasons, people don't maybe don't enjoy reading or don't wanna sit down and read something, but a lot of people are throwing some headphones and listening to something. And um, we are so blessed in this time period to have access to, have access to so many um, amazing recordings of people speaking, um, and music, I love music. Music is like life. What is life without music? And so being able to, the this audio collages for people who haven't heard them are a way to weave together um, music that's not necessarily uplifting, but that is beautiful um, with, you know, and I don't mean beauty as in pretty, I mean beauty as in meaningful, you know, uh, with the words of our ancestors, with um, the words of, um, or the sounds of struggle, um, with, in a thematic way that uh, it just hits different than holding something in your hand and reading it, though that hits different too. They both have their strengths, but um, yeah, that's definitely, I remember there was one that I made that was like, Oh man, it, it expanded so many. It was like, it started with um, Sweet Honey and the Rock doing this invocation, you know, we call to you, you know, all who dream of freedom, what have you. Then it goes into um, them talking, you know, Katie Cannon and a bunch of other people talking about uh, womanist theology. And then it goes into Cece McDonald talking about her experience in prison, um, being put into a men's prison. But, you know, her talking about how like, yeah, you know, we'll, yeah, it stays the prison. <laughs> prison is well, just, prison sucks. Like prison is, is harsh. You know, it doesn't it, it matters that I was put in there, but either way it would have been awful. And then into a clip from the film, let it you know, let the fire burn, which is about, you know, didn't happen that far from where I live right now in West Philly about the move house being bombed and in the city of Philadelphia letting huge parts of Philadelphia, West Philadelphia burn. And then into a clip of this news report of Josephine Baker where they're talking about, it's a newscaster, her voice doesn't even come on, but she did a citizen's arrest on this man who was harassing her. And it was honest. The newscaster sounded so confused, like Josephine Baker, the star, did a citizen's arrest of this man who was harassing her um, into this beautiful poem by Ozzy uh, and Ruby Davis. Um, it's a tandem poem that they did um, with beautiful music throughout. And that just hits different, but it's still the same kind of sustenance. And that's, those are tools I love to create and pieces I love to create to share with people, to have access, because I love research and sharing. Those are ways that I can share that research and put people on to things they might not have known about. And it's always really interesting and more sustenance to me to then be able to interact with people and hear what it brought up for them, um, what it reminded them of, what it made them think of. 
and things like that. So that's definitely two of the ways. And of course, like film and there's other ways too, but those are definitely two of the huge ways that I like to do it. And what I appreciate about those ways and what you're reminding me is that the digital has its limitations, that there's a real power in what we do that isn't restricted or contained by uh, the digital as a platform. That, that transformation of massage noir uh, takes place in a lot of places, not just in digital worlds, but analog as well. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I think there's such a strong, um, you know, I consider, I have a small press, you know, independent press, diaspora and savant press, but I consider myself as not a, an alone actor. I consider myself very much so in, uh, in the tradition of kitchen table press or in the tradition of firebrand press, in the tradition of all these presses, you know, of, of, <clears throat> of people who've just come before me and who were able to publish work that now we think of as classics, but at the time weren't gonna be published by like Random House, you know, <laughs> or like these large presses. It's really down to small presses because we can take the chance and it's risk, there's risk involved certainly, but I think, yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, I mean, and at the same time, the digital has, has advantages too because it can be much more widely disseminated than personal thing that costs money for me to print a book I can only print so many whatever where something digital so they have they both have their uses for sure um but that's definitely one of the drawbacks I would say of the digital is that we really have access to it through a nefarious nefarious uh almost like shadowy cartel of forces that at any moment really could be like nope and then what will we do you know what would we do and that <laughs> even at the level of access to electricity. You know, I mm -hmm. think we've had some recent moments that have caused us to question the integrity of the grid, of our infrastructure. So also thinking about what this new world that we're trying to, to move towards uh, holds. I really like the language you used of you know, passing the baton to the next, to the next section, to the next runner. Who, who do you see as, as some of the people coming up you feel like you're passing the baton to? I don't know if I'm passing the baton to anybody that's younger and explicit example. There are definitely some younger people who I know personally, um, who I feel like, there's like people who I like mentor or, um, and by that, I mean, I don't mean in some kind of way where I'm like the master I'm up here and they're studying under me. I mean, it's just like, I had to go through some hard things to learn what I know. And I don't want anybody else to have to step into that trap. If I already know it, <laughs> let me show you, you know, let me just help you get the shortcut real quick on that. Um, but I do create my work let me pat like compound on that by saying I do create work that I feel like hmm, is helping get the pasture ready for the seeds. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
Um, yes. Yes. You know, I am trying to what I, everything I'm doing in terms of my creative creative work or research work or at all times I do have my mind on on the seeds I'm planting and also on just getting the ground ready to just adding you know richness to um, creating a less toxic environment to putting um, to living myself in a, living my life in an authentic way. Um, and doing my work in an authentic way, showing up to my work in an authentic way that I hope is strong enough. I mean, that is going to be what it is and that I will do my best on, but that I think there's so many instances in which I have gotten these beacons from people shining their light in the past, doing their work, and maybe sometimes doing it and never getting any recognition for it, dying in complete, you know, um, anonymity, you know, I think of like someone like Zora Neale Hurston, who, you know, really at the end of her life was like a pauper and was like defamed incredibly, but her beacon is so strong. And that's, I, I don't have, I mean, I can think of young people who I think of are, who are inspiring, but overall, I just feel like that I wanna be a true beacon and shine from the truest place so that it's there, so that people can see it, especially people who are younger, um, but if for everyone, but especially for people who are younger, that, that it's possible to shine from your exact location. Um, and that doing that helps people find you at your exact location. The people who are kind of, who want to find you, they know where to find you because they can see your light like shining um, authentically. So in terms of individuals, there's a lot of young people doing, I mean, I'm always very impressed with the young people. <laughs> I'm always very impressed with the young people because I really feel like, you know, when I was a teenager, no one was talking about, I mean, people were talking about climate change, but not like they are now. I mean, the cards are on the table now just to be operating in a functional way when we understand the stakes, you know, is huge. I think there's so many things that they are coming up against. Um, and I'm always just very impressed. Um, but I, yeah, I think that my work is really, about living as authentically as I can, doing my work as, as um, you know, robustly as I can um, and giving, giving the young people the shortcuts and also just learning from them too. Because <laughs> it's just like I said, I'm just really impressed at all times with so many of the young people and what they're working on and their level of analysis um, at such a young age too. It's really <laughs> striking. <laughs> Totally. And I yeah. love that you use the language of beacon because uh, a, a mutual acquaintance that shall remain nameless mm -mm. said, noticed you and was like, that was a clear beacon. That was how just being drawn to you and saying like, that is, that is somebody who is living authentically somebody who is very much present to themselves. So just wanna reflect that you, you are on the path, friend, and, and people see you, you are seen. Amen, I appreciate that reflection. I'm trying to think, I bet I know who that is. You but do we, know of course, who that power. is. I bet I do, I bet I do, I bet I do. You have to remind me, but I bet I do. But. That's yeah. I mean, you. you know. I mean, I can give you context. It was an <laughs> conference, and you were oh. bowling. 
So you know who that is. Okay, I do know who that is. See, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. I just needed the extra cue, get this brain rolling. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. yes, I know that. That's a that's a loved one right there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. That's certainly the hope. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, Golden, where can people find you? Where can people find your work in the world? Um, wow. So I have um, the, the easiest place, actually, to start would be through one of these digital overlords, namely Instagram. Um, I have an Instagram where it's like I don't have a personal Instagram that I use anymore. But it is a place where I put most of my, a lot of uh, updates about my work and that Instagram is d.s.press only because Diaspora and Savant Press was like way too long for people, I feel like to get too easily. So D.S. Press, and that has periods after the D and the S and that's on Instagram. I also uh, run a platform for black queer trans people in recovery, directly thinking about recovery um, outside of these kind of white supremacist frameworks um, in a holistic way that's, um, you know, not anti-Black, which I'm telling you sounds simple, but I just said that it's actually a lot harder than it seems. A lot of, uh, a lot of access, resources um, for recovery are, are very much um, foundationally anti-Black. So that's at Black, you can find me on Instagram at um, Black Queer Trans Recovery um, and looking to start some just kind of meetings for that um, that project as well. And I have through DS Process through the um, Instagram, you can find my website where I have um, links to be able to, there's a, a second anthology of <clears throat> black non-binary poetry stories, submission-based. Um, you can find a link to get in with that project through the links in my, um, Instagram, DS Press. You can also find a link to be a part of the Queer Trans Black Indigenous People of Color anthology coming up um, using cultural and ancestral tools. You can find a link to my film work. Um, we just started Toronto Inside Out, 30th anniversary uh, International LGBT Festival. Um, and my last film about um, a Black non-binary beautiful artist colleague of mine here in um, Philadelphia is featuring that um, in that film. And so you can find uh, information about that. And if you're interested, if you're a black or trans person and you're interested and you live in strictly New York or Philly, um, definitely can find a link through there to be a part of, to be a, um, in one of those films. If you are interested, definitely hit me up. Um, and you can find a link to almost all of my zine work, my printmaking, um, collaborations and um yeah and a, and a link links also to ways to support the work because it is it's a lot but it's it's um it's worth it's worth the energy so yeah ds press is probably the easiest link to get to kind of everything else at this time thank you so much golden for taking the time i so appreciate you always 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 Man, listen, I am so stoked for you. You have worked so hard. You have worked so hard. You've been putting in the work from day one. And the fact this book is out, I can't wait to get my copy. It's on the way right now. Um, I just, I'm just so excited to see it in the world. You know, like I have a friend who had a baby 
And before even her stomach, I used to sing to her baby, you know, Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. And then when he was born, I said, you know, you were just an idea, but now you're real. And I would hold him up in the sunshine and sing that to him. And when I get your book, I'm going to sing the same thing. You were just an idea, but now you're real. You know what I mean? I'm so proud of you. Good for you, man. Like, you really did this. And it's happening. And I'm just so excited to see it out here, the work out here. And, And I'm proud of you. So thank you for inviting me on here. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I hope that listeners, you check out all of the wonderful things that Golden is creating, uh, curating, and instigating through DS Press on Instagram and all of the wonderful other projects that are linked to through there. Uh, join us next time for Misogynoir Transform the Podcast. you for listening to another episode Sajinoir Transform Transforming Sajinoir the podcast I am your host Moya Bailey I want to also thank our producer fabulous Jordan Myers and you listeners for tuning in yet again you can find all of the fabulous information mentioned in today's episode via the show notes and also a link to the transcript. Thanks, and we hope that you'll come back again. Bye.